Welcome in to Amazing But True, our Mets podcast from the New York Post, everyone. Jake Brown and Nelson Figueroa here, and obviously, this is a sad show. It is a different show than we usually do, and we're going to honor the great Tom Seaver this entire episode of the podcast today. Unfortunately, passing away at the age of 75 years old on Monday from complications from dementia, COVID-19, Lyme disease. We have lost Tom Terrific, number 41, the greatest player in Mets history. And there was no one better, Figgy. He was a 12-time All-Star, a World Series champion on that Miracle Met 1969 team, a three-time NL Cy Young Award winner, an NL Rookie of the Year, a three-time NL Wins Leader, a three-time NL ERA Leader, a five-time NL Strikeout Leader. He pitched a no-hitter in 1978 with the Reds. His number 41 was retired with the Mets. He's in the Mets Hall of Fame. He was inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 1992. And his career numbers, folks, are just stupid good. 311 wins, a 2.86 career ERA. He's first in starts in franchise history with 395. He's first in complete games in franchise history with 171. First in strikeouts with 2,541. First in ERA with 2.57 ERA. 12 seasons with the New York Mets. And Tom Seaver was the Mets. He defined this franchise for so long, Figgy. He was part of the 1967 team, and he grew with this team for a decade and was a monster part of the 1969 team. When you think of the Mets, you think Tom Seaver, and then you think Mike Piazza. And you can argue who was better, but it's, it's a tough argument to say Tom Seaver was not the best. And while I you know, was born in 91, many years after he was a Met, I knew all about him. I had such an affinity for the Mets franchise history and for that 1969 team. I collected every Mets yearbook in history, and I met 20 of those 69 Mets and had a big picture of the final out was caught, the field was being stormed, and I remember meeting Tom Seaver in a room and shaking. It was a similar feeling to when I met David Wright, and my hand was shaking when I, when I handed David Wright a picture of him that my mom took. My hand was shaking when I met Tom Seaver and handed him a ball, and my dad was there in the distance watching me meet a guy that he got to see from his window, and my dad will talk with us a little bit later in the show. And Tom Seaver was just special, man. Everything about him was so special. The guy, he was a broadcaster. Howie Rose will talk about broadcasting with him later. He was so dominant on the mound. He made complete games look so easy. And that 1969 team, without that team, this Mets franchise is so different. Without the Miracle Mets, this team was losers up through 1968. This team had nothing going for them. And when this young pitcher came here, he changed the course of the franchise forever. And then even in 1973, making it to the World Series again, people forget that that team was on the edge of winning and winning a World Series. And that 1973 team, a 2.08 ERA. 1969, 2-2-1 ERA. Oh, only 25 wins. And what he did, and getting to meet him, and meeting those 69 Mets, it was so special for me and and part of my fanhood. It's more than Mike Piazza. It's more than David Wright. You want to learn about the history of your team. And I'll share a text figgy from my uncle, who was another big part of getting me To be a Mets fan, he lives in Boston now. He texted me saying he was such a role model to me. Anyone my age relishes the memory of every time he appeared on Kiner's Corner after a win. He taught you so much about the game with the way he dissected his performance. And then he acted like a goofball, giggling and waving at his kid. 
I'm so lucky I saw him face Steve Carlton at Shea so many times, and I get goosebumps thinking about opening day in 1983 when he returned to the Mets and walked in from the bullpen to a standing ovation. And Figgy, I, I remember watching on TV, and it broke my heart that I couldn't be there to see him close the doors with Mike Piazza at Shea Stadium. And you forgot that they collapsed because your childhood stadium was shutting down and the two greatest Mets ever were closing it. And when he waved goodbye to the stadium and shut those doors, there wasn't a dry eye in Shea Stadium. There wasn't a dry eye in people watching. There wasn't a dry eye in people listening. And there wasn't a dry eye when I heard the news. I was on the phone with you letting you know. And after we got off the phone and you kind of process it and you kind of see the tweets and all these guys you talk to, it is impossible not to get emotional. Tom Seaver passing away at the age of 75. Tom, terrific. Uh, we lost a great one in number 41, Figgy. Yeah, when you speak about the franchise um, and what a nickname uh, and what a distinguished nickname to have to keep that mantle up for so long 12 years being a met and there was no one better to do that both on the field and off the field when he pitched it was all eyes on him even his own teammates would tell you that you knew you were watching something special uh no matter who the other team's pitcher was no matter if it was the bob gibson's the sandy Koufaxes, the don drysdale's of the world when they matched up against the mets and even if the mets weren't having a good year who are we facing today? Oh, we got Seaver. You knew you had a problem. That's what he did for this franchise. He gave them a legitimate ace who went out there every fifth, sometimes every fourth day, and was dominant at his craft. That kind of stuff that's legendary that we, we speak about of what makes an ace pitcher. That got thrown around real loose a few years ago when the Mets felt like they had five aces in the making. There's a lot more that goes into it. And anybody that was old enough to be able to ha have seen Seaver, know about Seaver, remember anything or been told anything about Seaver, knows what it took to be an ace. Jacob deGrom is the closest thing to an ace that we've seen in, I would say, in our lifetime, our generation of this Mets team. And when you look at the numbers in comparison, especially early on in the career, they don't compare. One of the biggest things you said earlier was about complete games. I'm going to give you a mind-blowing stat when it comes to this. When it comes to Tom Seaver and complete games, as a Met, and this is only as a Met, he had 171 complete games in 12 years, 44 of those being shutouts, right? In losses, in losses, 45 complete games in losses. The Mets franchise since 2008 to 2020, up, up until today, has 44 complete games total. That tells you what an ace did back then. The ace gave you your best opportunity, even if it was one run behind going into the eighth inning and trying to you know, keep your team in it so they have a chance to score in the ninth and, and maybe go back out there in the ninth. Those are what pitchers like Tom Seaver did, and there weren't very many like him, uh, especially that put on New York Met uniforms. So he was the guy that set the standard, set the bar. And when you went around as a kid, and it was, you know, my team has this guy. My team has that guy. I like the Yankees because they have, we've got Tom Seaver. Who you got? And you'd be willing to take your chances that day because you knew Tom Seaver was on the mound. Didn't matter who you were playing against. Special, once in a generation type pitcher. One of the things that stand out in my mind is his, the way his body flowed, the way he threw a baseball, how rhythmic it was how different it was how low he got to the ground everything that i would try and correct as a pitching coach and uh, uh, training little kids 
I would be like, no, no, you can't do that. You know why? You're not Tom Seaver. You can't throw the ball that way. Tom Seaver can do that. Tom Seaver's right knee would be dirty because he would drop down so low and be able to create such torque in his body to release that fastball and it would explode out of his hand. And then the curveball would come right off the top of it. Change up right after that. And he'd go out there and compete with every bit of energy he had going however long he had to go until his team could take the lead. That's the special pitcher that you're talking about. The person was second to none, commanded respect, commanded respect for the organization as well, because they go back in 73 and go to the World Series. Now it's not so far-fetched. It wasn't a one-hit wonder. It wasn't a got lucky. They go back in 73. They're still competitive. When he gets traded away, a lot of fans, almost every fan, questioned why, how, how could you do this? That was another moment in the franchise that changed where you saw that hero walk away. And then there had to be new heroes that evolved. And he was there. You see him trying to make that full circle after they win in 86. He tries to make a comeback in 87 for one more go at it. Just one more go. He wanted to pitch with a special pitcher named Doc Gooden. They just came off winning the World Series. And to have Tom Seaver, just to have him would have been an honor. And you make room for a guy like that. Uh, he wasn't able to do it. Winds up, you know, uh, staying in the minor leagues. He puts on the uniform as a Met one last time, and that was it. Ends his career as a Met, even though it wasn't at the big league level. It's special in of itself to hear his passing. Uh, we knew he was dealing with complications uh, for the last few years, and his family had asked for privacy. And, and in this time, you know, our hearts go out. I think the baseball world, um, while it's not in shock, we are definitely devastated by how quickly his passing has come about best remembered again as, as the one and only the franchise and there will never be anybody that could surpass what he has done for this franchise. Yeah. Well said Figgy. And for you, it's gotta be special that you got to put on the same uniform that a guy this good did. I mean, it is special. You growing up a Mets fan to put on a uniform. He did a pitch on that same mound because you pitched in the final year of Shea you were on that team that closed the door and you were you were there for that moment I can't imagine what that even was like I was devastated at the loss and it was so you were numb that that just happened the way it happened and and that Milwaukee was gonna you know go ahead and, and be in the playoffs over us and you were numb to that and then the whole festivities that were going around you walk into the tunnel and we're walking by all the all-time greats as they're lined up for the ceremony that's about to happen and here we are with our heads hanging low that we just really just ruined the whole season we had such high hopes and and we we thought that this was going to be our chance to get into the playoffs and deep into the playoffs and it was gone and then we're walking by and of course as a a fan, I'm looking up and I'm getting handshakes from, you know, each and every one of these legends of, of Mets lore. And I didn't want to take off my uniform. I sat there and with my jersey on, my pants on, everything, I, I, I wasn't going anywhere. I wanted to the feeling to last as long as it could because this was my childhood dream to pitch in Chase Stadium and, and to put on that Met uniform. And for a guy like me, once I took it off, I never knew if I was going to be able to be good enough to put it back on again, if they would want me back the next year. So I wasn't going to take it off, not for anything. And I sat there in the, in the tunnel and, and watching all the guys go by and they were getting announced and going out to the field and sitting in the corner of the dugout and just watching the ceremonies and, and 
it was such a sad, sad thing to think that that was the last time that I saw Tom Seaver. I never got to see him again in person. And, and you know, do you think about, I didn't get him this, I didn't get an autograph from him. I didn't run up to him and shake his hand. You know, you always think there was going to be another time, you know, there, there was always going to be a chance to, to see one of the Mets greats always be back, always welcome back. And it didn't happen so that's one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't get that opportunity um, to see him and Piazza walk out arm in arm and close the door and construction begin and Shea Stadium is a parking lot soon after that and then open up City Field. I know my greatest thrill was throwing the first complete game shutout in City Field history. And that was on the last day of the season, a 4 nothing ball game against the Astros and just doing it once in my career. It felt like the most special thing on earth. And this guy did it regularly. That was his expectation every single time out there. So I, I do nothing but tip my cap and, and bow to someone of that magnitude that was able to put up a high standard for so long and make it look so easy. Yeah, and, you know, I hate that I didn't get to see him pitch live. And, you know, you were able to see him towards the back end of his career as a kid. And I, I just can't imagine that moment being part of that team that said goodbye to our beloved Shea. We always say it was a dump, but it was our dump. And, you know, he, he was there when it was new. I mean, he was there in the 60s and 70s where Shea was this, like, novelty. And, you know, the, the different colored seats, and it was beautiful. And then, you know, years later, 20, 30 years later, it, it's, it's the dump. So you saw him, and... Even him trying to finish his career with the Mets. I know he failed in 87 and trying to make a run, but he tried and he wanted to finish a Met. And that says something. You know, that shows, you know, I started here. I want to end here. And this place holds a special place in my heart. Tom Seaver is synonymous. You don't get someone named the franchise when he is not the franchise. And for so long, up until a couple of years ago, he was the only Mets Hall of Famer. And, you know, you were thinking, will the Mets ever have another Hall of Famer? And for me to be there for my hero, Mike Piazza's Hall of Fame induction was special. I wish I could have been at Seaver's, but, you know, Seaver was the guy for Hall of Fame. And, you know, every Yank, teams like the Yankees have so many players in the Hall of Fame, but for for many, many years, it was just Seaver's team. It was just Seaver. Now Piazza's joined him, but, you know, Seaver holds a special place in all of our hearts. And, you know, th this one hurts, Figgy. Absolutely, Jake. And I, I think uh, our hearts and prayers go out to his family. Um, we spoke with a lot of teammates today, uh, a lot of texts from former players, uh, a lot of messages. Just, you know, it, it's it's a sad time. Um, and you look back on the terrific career that he had. And he got to live out a lot of his dreams well after that with the vineyard and everything. And uh, Ron Soboda paints a beautiful picture of that in one of our interviews. You know, this is definitely going to be felt for a long, long time. And uh, I just thank goodness that he was re he's going to be remembered as the champion and, and the, the ace that he was and that nobody will be able to ever match up to. It'll always be 41 Seaver way. That is city field in the address. And uh, next up the Mets, you know, it's sad. He's not going to see it, but a statue has got to be made for the 2021 season. Tom Seaver needs a statue outside that stadium. And hopefully Steve Cohen and new ownership, they make that happen because it is long overdue. Rest in peace to Tom Terrific, the franchise, Tom Seaver, who is now passed away at age 75. We will not talk about anything going on with the current Mets. This show is all dedicated 
to Tom Seaver and some terrific insight from a lot of his teammates coming up on the rest of this show of Amazing But True. You'll hear from Ed Cranepool from the 69 Mets. You'll hear from Mets radio voice Howie Rose, who has broadcasted with Tom. You'll hear from 69 Met Art Shamsky. You will hear from New York Post columnist Mike Vaccaro. You'll hear from Ron Swoboda from the 69 Mets as well. And you'll hear a snippet from my dad, who had a special place for me in kind of becoming a Mets fan and knowing even who Tom Seaver was. So, you know, rest in peace. Thoughts and prayers or condolences to the Seaver family, to the Mets organization. And for the rest of the show, you'll hear from all those guys next right here on Amazing But True. All right, as we continue here on Amazing But True to honor the life of the greatest Met of all time, number 41, Tom Seaver, Tom Terrific. We now talk to a friend of the program. He's been on already, 1969 World Series champion, lifelong Met, Ed Cranepool. First off, Ed, our prayers, our thoughts, our condolences to you for losing a teammate, a friend, and we'd love to just, you know, give us some thoughts on uh, on Tom as a teammate and, you know, the guy that we just lost. Well, you know, I had started my career in New York and, and Tom joined us a couple of years later and, of course, having a player like him come aboard really changed the franchise around and he was our franchise player and we certainly respected him from day one, his approach to the game and the way he handled himself on and off the field. You know, was a class guy, and we certainly uh, have lost the marquee player of our, our organization. It's a sad day right now in Mitchell. Yeah, every generation feels like they get a chance to see the best pitcher that they'll ever see. Jacob DeGrom is that guy right now for this generation. Doc Gooden was the guy for my generation. And right before I was born, of course, Tom Terrific, no one can compare to him. Can you tell us what it was like to play behind someone like that that would go out there and be able to almost go anywhere from seven to nine innings every single time and give you a chance to win? Well, we knew when uh, Tom showed up for the ballpark to pitch, we were going to have a good chance of, uh, of competing and winning. And uh, he was a pleasure to play behind. He worked fast. Everything about him was done professionally. The way he approached the game before the game, you know, during the game, there was no fooling around that we knew we were going to be very competitive. And playing defense behind him was certainly easy compared to so many players who struggled out on the mound. Tom went about his business and he got his job done in a hurry, you know, with class and dignity. And, and you know what? I played a lot of years behind him. And, uh, you know, you couldn't ask for a better guy to take the mound because you wanted to go to war. What was he like, the person, the friend, the human being, the, the teammate? What I mean, stories from, I don't know if you remember any stories from you guys going out to dinner or something like that, but what was, we know how dominant he was on the mound, but what was he like, the, the human being off the field? You know, Tom was a very private person. I, his, his closest friend on the ball club was Buddy Harrelson. He roomed with Buddy and they traveled together and they socialized together, but he certainly was open to any of the players uh, if you wanted to uh, go to his locker and, and, and talk to him. He was accommodating at all times. He was a class act, and I'll tell you what, we're missing a, a real friend and, and a true, uh, you know, great, great player. Yeah, sad day in Metsland for sure. And, and to see his teammates, I know one of the things that a lot of the guys are saying is that the regret of not being able to have someone like Tom there at the, 60, at the 50th anniversary of the 69 team, uh, that, that was definitely something he was missed. It was a problem. You know, we knew that he was sick. And, of course, 
you know, the Lyme disease and, and the dementia, and, and we didn't know how bad it was the last two years. I wasn't fortunate enough to go out to see him in California with uh, some of the guys. I was having my own problems at the time, but uh, obviously everything caught up with them. We're all around the same age, so it's a sad day for everybody, and uh, we're going to miss Tom, no question about it. Ed, uh, we really appreciate you taking a couple of minutes here. I know it's a tough time, and, you know, we're sending our best to you, man, and thanks for shedding some light on on the great life of Tom Terrific. Well, it's very difficult to replace him. You can't replace him. He was a class guy. But thanks very much for talking to me. All right, joining us now, friend of the program. You know, tough times to hear from him right now, but he was 15 in 1969 when the Mets won the World Series. Here to talk about the passing of Tom Seaver, it's Mets radio voice, Howie Rose. Howie, welcome back, man, and just would love to, uh, you know, get your thoughts on seeing Seaver pitch and, you know, what this passing means for the franchise. Well, I mean, I'm just I'm just numb. I, mean, I had no idea this was coming. We obviously knew what he was dealing with, and I had just, you know, reconciled that we weren't going to see him again after the announcement last year that he'd retired from public life, but I had no idea that anything like this was imminent. But the family had been very private about protecting any news on Tom. So, you know, I just, he gave me so much joy as a fan. He made it so special to be a Mets fan back then because, you know, if you go back that far, if you remember the early days of the Mets, it was 62, 63, 64, the Yankees were still winning pennants every year. But here was this brand new team that was embraced by not only the distant franchise. Dodger and Giant fans, but from what Casey Stengel called the new breed, the young fans who eventually would flock to Shea Stadium. But, you know, for the first 262, 63, 64, 65, 66, even though they got out of last place in 66, they were a bad team. But then Tom Seaver shows up in 1967. And even though that team would go on to lose 100 games, every fifth day or fourth day when he pitched, they were a championship caliber club because of Tom Seaver. And there haven't been many players or pitchers you could say that about over the years. That was evident from the very beginning. And his professionalism, his incredible ability to take a game and approach it in the most cerebral way and at the same time appear to be a, a little kid having fun. It's a tough combination, tough thing to pull off. But he did, and it, it just it wore off and rubbed off on the rest of us. That we, we felt special because we got to watch him pitch. Yeah, Howie, I don't think uh, the word ace uh, really personifies anyone more so than Tom Terrific. We talked about five aces of having those pitchers in New York, and I kept always saying, I don't think they really understand what a true ace is. Jacob deGrom is as close as this generation will be. Doc Gooden was it during my generation. Looking at Tom Seaver, what was it about him that really made him stand out for so long? Because it didn't matter what eight guys were behind him, he was going to drag them on his back to compete. And I think you could say that with Jake, just as you mentioned some others. I think, you know, with Jerry Kuzman and, and, and Jacob DeGrom and, and Dwight Gooden, well, clearly Tom Seaver is the face on on Mount Rushmore as far as Mets pitchers were concerned. He just made everyone around him better. He made fans better. You felt better about the Mets because of him. You know, when I was a kid growing, I was 13 when he broke in. And just watching him, the way he comported himself on the mound, you know, he taught me how to act when I played ball. He taught me not to show, you know, any kind of overt 
displeasure with a teammate who didn't make a good play, whether it was behind me and I was pitching in whatever game or in any other sport. You know what? You didn't you didn't show up your teammates just because things didn't work out um, the way you wanted them to. And and there was a little bit of that in, in, in Tom, I think, that rubbed off on, on everybody. But look, the, the 311 wins, the three Cy Youngs, the Hall of Fame, that, that all speaks for itself. But how he made us feel every fifth day is something I'll never forget. And Howie, I just think of 2008 and him and Mike Piazza shutting the doors on Shea Stadium. And, you know, you you put the collapse and this team missing the playoffs behind. He closed down the stadium that built your memories as a childhood, that built a lot of my memories um, of my childhood. And I can't imagine, you know, the emotions of that. I mean, that's the last thought you think of him is closing down Shea. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, you know, there's just so many memories that swirl around in my head right now that I haven't even had time to really process and let sink in. But, you know, one of the other things that that I'll always cherish was the opportunity to work with him as an on-air partner, however many games it was that I did with him on on television. And um, one thing you could appreciate, this is a pitcher, but we're doing a game in St. Louis one night, and... Tom in the booth called a balk before the umpire did. I mean, that's how seriously, that's how astute he was. Like Tom he's making a point, then he just stops himself and goes, "Oh, that's a balk." And then one Mississippi, two Mississippi. Then the umpire puts up his hands and yells, "Balk!" Yeah, that's one of the things that, as a trailblazer, uh, you know, Tom Seaver being that cerebral type pitcher, and then being able to turn over and go into the booth and be able to educate fans still and set things up for a whole next generation of watch the way this guy works, watch the way this pitcher works. That's one of the things that I look up to as far as guys who came before me and made the jump from on the playing field into the analyst booth or even on broadcast or radio is being able to paint that picture in a way that the normal set of eyes can't see. That's something that I'll always think of when I think of Tom Seaver as well. I get that because he took us places we never expected to see as fans, frankly. Howie, we really appreciate you coming on for a few minutes. I know it's a tough time and, you know, your thoughts. And I didn't even think about the broadcasting angle as well are uh, add a lot of value to, to the show. Thanks, Howie. You got it. Anytime. Nice talking to you. All right, joining us now as we continue to honor the life and legacy of Hall of Famer and the greatest Met of all time, Tom Seaver, is a teammate of Tom Seaver's from that Miracle Mets team in 1969, Art Shamsky. Art, obviously, we send our prayers and thoughts to you um, for losing a friend and a teammate here. Would love to get your insight on what you know Tom Seaver was like as a teammate, as a pitcher, and as a person. Well, all of the above, he was a, a, a great person, a great teammate, and uh, and a terrific pitcher. Uh, I, I got a chance to, uh, to see Tom um, in 2017 when I went out there to get ready to write After the Miracle, which was the 50th anniversary of, of uh, the celebration of that great 69 team. And we spent uh, some time with Tom, myself, uh, Buddy Harrelson, Jerry Kuzman, and Ron Sabota. And I think all of us, uh, looking back on that, will cherish those moments. So, uh, you know, I, I, I got a chance to see Tom playing against him um, when I came up with the Cincinnati record and being a teammate of his. And and um, I can only tell you that uh, he was a great pitcher when I faced him and he was a great pitcher when I played behind him and uh, a wonderful teammate. And I think history will show he's one of the greatest pitchers ever to put on a major league uniform. And, you know, even though I knew that he was sick and, and, and had been ill for a long time, when you hear about that, uh, something like that, it's just like a, a, a kick in the gut and, and, 
you know, it's just another teammate from that team that's gone. There's so many guys that we've lost and, and um, great friends and great teammates. And, and uh, you know, you just cherish those moments that you got a chance to spend together. But uh, Tom was just a, a great person and, and uh, again, one of the greatest pitchers in an era that he pitched in with great, great pitchers. You can go down the list of all the tremendous pitchers in the National League at the time and even in the American League. But he was uh, right at the top of the list. And, and um, again, history will show that, uh, how, how great he was. And um, I'm just sad uh, because I'm losing a friend and, and, and a teammate. But uh, he, we should all cherish his life and, and appreciate the greatness that he, he had. And, and obviously, he's the greatest Met ever. And, and hopefully, people remember that. Well said, Art. And we've been talking to a lot of teammates uh, of his and as someone who has also played against him I want to get your perspective on when you're playing first base as a Met and these guys if they're lucky enough to get on base what are some of the things that they're saying to you about Tom Seaver and his stuff I mean I I gotta imagine that countless times they they gave you some insight as to how difficult it was to face someone like that well you know it's interesting I've I've gotten I don't know I can't even tell you how many text messages from people come out of the woodwork. I didn't even know they had my phone number, but, you know, telling me how sad they are. And I can understand it because, you know, he was an icon in, in, in the history of sports in New York City. There, there's not many people that uh, are up there at that echelon uh, that he was at. You know, you can mention names like Ruth and Garrick and DiMaggio and Mantle and, of course, Namath and some of the great uh, sports people of, of all time in New York. But Tom certainly was right up there. And I think People appreciate uh, how his greatness and, and how much he was a thinking man's pitcher, but uh, he was just a he was a tactician out there. And I, you know, it's interesting. I tell people that when I played the outfield uh, and he was pitching, you know, you always had to be on your toes because you never know when you were going to get a ball because he was always around the plate. But when you got a chance to play first base and he was pitching, you could really see how great he was, even more so than being out in the outfield. I know that might be hard to understand, but that closest that you are from first base to the pitcher's mound and watching him wind up or go into the stretch and watch how he worked batters. And he was a kind of pitcher that when he went out there, you knew that you had a good chance to win these these games that he had against uh, Bob Gibson and, and uh, Colfax and then Drysdale and Marischal and Perry and Fergie Jenkins and Colton. I mean, all these games were such nail biters and they all pitched, you know, they all were complete game pitchers and and so you always knew that you were in the ball game with him i i venture to say that in the years i played with tom i probably can count on one hand the number of times i saw him get hit hard you know every pitcher gets hit hard even the great ones but you can really count uh count the times that i saw him get hit hard and uh, you know it's funny because one game uh, i played against him when i was with the reds i hit a pinch hit home run off of him it was a meaningless that bad because he was winning seven and nothing and, and the, I think the score made it seven to three he won the game and then when I got over to the Met we never talked about it he never brought it up I never brought it up but we used you know I used to think about that and I said it's not worth it I don't even want to get into it with him but but uh, I got a chance to see how great he was uh, batting against him and also also that uh, wonderful pitcher he was and and he was just a terrific guy too he was a wonderful teammate there was no there's nobody set above anybody else on that 69 team. Everybody was, was uh, shared in the, the, the bad days and they shared in the good days. And he was right along with us. And, and I think that was really the, the true meaning of that team because everybody had a chance to participate and be part of that team. And, 
and uh, between him and Kuzman and, and uh, Gentry and all the great pitchers we had, we had a wonderful staff. But certainly, Tom, we would not have won without Tom Seaver. Art, we really appreciate the time, man. I know you're getting a ton of calls, and, and people want to talk to you about this. So uh, thank you for honoring Tom Seaver as best as you could. Art Shamsky, 1969 World Series champ and fellow podcaster, Art Shamsky Podcast. So thank you, Art. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. All right, as we continue to honor the life and the legacy of Tom Terrific, number 41, Tom Seaver, the greatest Met of all time, joining us now is another one of his teammates and from that 1969 World Series championship team, Ron Soboda. And Ron, you know, thoughts and prayers to you for losing a friend and a teammate here. Would love for you to shine some light on the picture, the person, and the human being that Tom Seaver was. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I was on the Mets. You know, we were perennial 100-game losers. Even in 1967, when Seaver showed up, we didn't win a whole lot of games, but he did. And and you saw a guy come right out of the box with big league stuff that looked like Hall of Fame caliber, and and he carried himself like a Hall of Famer um, from from the get go. All he needed was it looked like was the time to accumulate the numbers to be a first ballot, um, almost unanimous uh, Hall of Fame selection eventually. Can you tell us exactly what kind of a leader he was? Because he seemed so quiet and so reserved and a private guy, except for, of course, when they celebrated after the World Series. But can you talk to us about what kind of a leader he was in that clubhouse? I'll tell you what kind of leader he was. You give him the ball, he went out there knowing what he had to do. And uh, if uh, you got him three runs, you had a chance to win. And that's the kind of leadership. You know, we were, we were, uh, back then, you know, we, we, there weren't superstars as such. Seaver became one. But when he showed up, um, you just saw a guy that, um, you know, he, he, it wasn't like he ruled a clubhouse or he was the guy, you know, there, there were a lot of characters in that clubhouse, but not many that we would call superstars. His leadership was just solid performance, solid behavior. You never worried about where Tom was when the sun went down. You know, um, it's the way he conducted himself, um, you, you know, as a gentleman. That's the kind, you know, that's the kind of person he was. And, and you know, on top of that, when you play behind Tom Seaver, you witness greatness. Period. Can you share a story, Ron, of, you know, a memory of him off the field, you know, from maybe from that 69 team? We'd love to, you know, hear what he was like away from the field. Well, I can tell you this. When uh, when he lost that perfect game against the Cubs in 1969, he said that was the worst feeling he's ever had on or off the field. He wanted it, and he wanted it badly. It, it is to me unbelievable that he never pitched at least a no-hitter with the New York Mets, that it took him that long in his career to throw a no-hitter, and it was down the road um, a bit. That's the most fascinating thing to me. You know, we were, a couple of years ago, when Art Chansky wrote his, his book on, on, on the Mets in, of 69, he brought a couple of us out to Seaver's place in Calistoga, California, just a couple of years ago now. And and uh, Tom built this beautiful, modern home full of great art. And uh, and then off to the side was three and a half acres of, of prime, like incredible Cabernet grapes. It was what he always wanted to do. Every day of his life, he went out 
when he could with the dogs and he walked his uh, vineyard. And that's when he was finished with baseball, when he was finished with doing play-by-play and, 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 and being Mr. Met, you know, when he was finished with all of that, what he wanted to be was, was a vintner. And, and, you know, and he, he lived that life. He lived his dream. And, and I tell you what, it was, it was the most fascinating time I've ever spent uh, with him walking us around the property and talking about growing grapes and what an incredibly, you know, nuanced and and and, and uh, accurate piece of agriculture. Everything about growing grapes. You three and a half acres on a real good year is about a half a million bucks. Okay, so so you watch everything you do, and he knew. He knew all, all of the subtleties of it. He had learned that business. It was what he wanted to do, exactly. And he found the property, built the house, laid out the three and a half acres. And, you know, I've had a couple of bottles of GTS. And it's, you know, I'm a cab person to begin with, but it's a little bit out of my league. But, uh, damn, it's good. <laughs> Talking about, you know, when, when you mentioned the name Mr. Met, and that could have been a nickname that stuck with him and people would have been perfectly OK with. But you realize that becomes the mascot and it's kind of a goofy image. The franchise. When you think of Tom Terrific being coming the franchise in New York Met, is there anyone better that can identify that name? You know, he'll he'll be the best pitcher in, in that franchise's history. You think about it. Um, his first 10 years in the big league, his ERA is under three for God's sakes. And, and, you know, so, you know, and he didn't miss any start in 1969, had a little shoulder problem. And it came after that, uh, it came after that almost perfect game against Chicago. So he went to the all-star game, but he didn't pitch in it. And they, they just rested him and he came back strong. We're winning three out of four games the last six weeks of the season. And he and Kuzman, Jerry Kuzman, they were one too, but you know what? You don't you don't win a World Series. You're not wearing a ring without either one of those guys on the team. But Seaver was the number one. You know, he was he was the he was the ace, and and rightfully rightfully so. And 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 you know, a time like this, the the ironies uh, start flooding back in your brain. And and I'm I was thinking the first hitter in in the '69 World Series. In my hometown of Baltimore, in Memorial Stadium, it, you know, is Don Buford. He hit the ball to the right field fence that I get a terrible jump on. I made every mistake on a fly ball that you could make, and and I get back late, and and I let the ball get over the fence for a home run. So I felt like I and that was Tom Seaver pitching, and and we end up losing game one, and here we are in game four, and Seaver's pitching again when I make the greatest play, of, you know, of my outfield career, and 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 I sort of um, it just got me back to even is the way I looked at it because I owed him one, <laughs> and if I don't get to it, if I don't catch it, the Orioles could easily have scored two runs there, and 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 and, uh, and Seaver could have Seaver, you know. He's winning the Cy Young Award, his first Cy Young in 1969. He could have lost two games in that World Series if I don't make that play. So the irony there 
speaks loudly as 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 we're looking back on it. Ron Swoboda, nineteen sixty nine Met man. I uh, I met you as a teenager. I got twenty plus of the sixty nine Mets to sign. A big picture I had of, of you guys celebrating in the World Series, and it's an honor to uh, you know fifteen years later as an adult to be able to interview in you and unfortunately on unfortunate circumstances, but you added some real light onto Tom Seaver's life with what you said. And we really appreciate you coming on. Well, he was, he was, you're, you're, you're welcome. And, and, uh, yeah, I feel, I, you know, this hit me hard. I, I, you know, I knew he was struggling with dementia. Um, but, um, I guess I, I have subsequently read that there was a COVID in the mix here and that, uh, that's not, uh, that's not good for, for people our age, and and I'm so sorry that this had to happen to Tom. Uh, in in you know, in, while he was um, struggling with um, Lyme's disease and dementia in its own right, because it stole memories from him, and and that's just tragic in 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 its own way. They're golden to me, and I, the idea that something could get in there and steal them from you and they're gone is is it's tragic and you know this that on top of this uh makes me very sad tonight well we appreciate you taking the time and you know we send you our, th- our thoughts and prayers thank you ron anytime for you and nelly jake you bet you guys take care all right joining us now we get the writer's perspective from the 2019 new york sports writer of the year new york post longtime columnist mike vaccaro mike uh, you know, tell us, you know, about your memories watching Tom Seaver in the in the 70s and 80s. I know you were, you know, the mid-70s. You got some good years of watching his greatness. Uh, we'll love to get your perspective. Yeah, I mean, he was my first hero. You know, the best way I can describe him and the way I described the column I just finished about him is that, you know, you only get one shot to have your first hero. <laughs> and uh, I was lucky. I picked Tom Seaver, and uh, he never disappointed me. You know, I mean, I, for as long as I was a baseball fan, and I really started to come to baseball around 1973 or so when I was six. Uh, Tom Seaver was all I knew. He was all I cared about. He was the best player on the team that I cared about the most. And, uh, you know, my entire my entire weeks growing up were built around his starts and, you know, watching them or following them on the radio and keeping score. My little score book at home. And, you know, if I was lucky, you know, once a summer, my, when my dad took me to the Mets games, we would uh, make sure that we were able to figure out uh, – uh, when Seaver would be pitching, so I think it was going to be watching in person. And those are those are thrilling. And look, I mean, I've had a very lucky life. So as a result, you know, many 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 years later, as a sports writer, I got to talk to Tom several times. And, you know, those are among the most uh, thrilling moments of my life. I mean, you know, you it's wonderful to find out later on that the man that was inventing your heart when you were a kid is actually a good man, and a kind man, and a grateful man for all the attention and all the affection that Mets fans. Uh, point in his direction for so many years, so many decades. Yeah. Is there any way you could possibly put into perspective how consistent he was, especially in a Mets uniform? Think about what we see with Jacob deGrom. And that's what Tom Seaver was only at a time when it was harder to beat Jacob deGrom because pitchers were expected to go eight, nine innings every time. So, I mean, he was doing this and he was piling up 270, 280 innings every year, striking out 200 guys uh, eight years in a row. No, he, he worked with just as little margin for error as, as the ground did. Now, because he worked more innings, sometimes he was able to outlast the ineffectiveness of his teammates' bats, and he didn't have to rely too often on bullpens that, that can be unreliable. So that's why his record, you know, his one-loss record is different. But, you know, so, so often when I watch Jacob DeGrom at his best, which, is, which, which we see a lot, it, it, it reminds me so much of, 
with Seager because that's what he was like. He was a guy who, you know, he wasn't just a great pitcher, but a smart pitcher. And we all know how great Jacob gets uh, when there's men on base and how he really bears down as great pitchers do. That's why I always see him. My, my memory of Seaver, there's always, you know, runners out of the corner with two outs, you know, in a one-run game, and he always figures out how to get the, get the pop-up or he strikes three past Louis Sargil, and that's what uh, that's what I always remember. And that's, you know, I think that's borne out in his numbers. When you look at this, the sheer numbers of what he, what he compiled from 67 through, you know, the early part of 77 with the Mets, uh, you, can, you, you, can, you can hold that uh, career up against anybody else who's ever pitched, certainly in New York, or really who's ever pitched anywhere. Vac, I thought it was interesting you mentioned your father and going to games with your father. I, you know, I talked about earlier how my dad got me into Tom Seaver and I, you know, met 20 plus of the 69 Mets at very various sports card and memorabilia shows and, you know, hearing from my dad about how great it was. My dad lived, you know, a minute from Shea. He lived in College Point. Um, talk about that, you know, that father-son dynamic and what your dad passed along to you about watching Seaver. I think my father got a kick out of the fact that he knew that I was that, that I just fallen hard for Seaver. Uh, he was a baseball fan, every bit as passionate as I was. Uh, the guy that he grew up idolizing, admiring was Joe DiMaggio, and uh, you know, to, to my father, DiMaggio could never do anything wrong in the same way that as I grew up, Tom Seaver could never do anything wrong. And I think that he really appreciated the fact that I had my own DiMaggio. Uh, he might not have played for the Yankees, which probably would have been my hardest preference, but uh, you know, he certainly could appreciate good baseball and forever baseball players. And I know that he appreciated who Tom Seaver was and certainly encouraged him as a guy that I would pick as somebody that I wanted to kind of emulate and kind of idolize. Because I think when you're six, seven, eight years old, you know, the innocence kind of just it, all that matters is, is, is that a guy is worthy of that affection. And I think my father could always sense that Tom Seaver was a guy who really, and as I later learned, you know, in my life, getting to know him later on, uh, he was right. That instinct was, 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 was absolutely right. Vac, you could read Mike Vaccaro's story in the paper about Tom Seaver. Uh, loved you sharing those memories with us, Vac, and uh, appreciate the time, man. Great talking to you guys. Thanks for so much for having me on. All right, a special guest now, not a player, a broadcaster, but my father, Bob Brown, joining us here on Amazing But True to honor the life of Tom Seaver. My dad texted me, Jake, although a Yankee fan, growing up, Tom Terrific was admired by all. He had over 300 wins, more than 3,600 strikeouts, and under a three ERA, a dominant pitcher and a fearless competitor. I remember we were at Shea when the Mets honored him. I was going through my draw today and came across his jersey. I have his rookie card somewhere in my BB collection. I would never flip a Tom Seaver card. I always wish the Yankees would trade for him. Dad, obviously you got me in a Seaver as a kid. You lived in College Point. Um, you live right near Shea. And, you know, we used to go to the sports card shows in Westchester and meet, you know, whatever 69 Met was there that, that month, we would go. And I remember, I don't know if it was, it was at a different show, but he signed a ball and he might have signed the poster I had. And uh, I remember we were in the, it was just me, you, and him in a room together and how special it was for me. And, you know, talk about your memories of Tom Seaver. Well, as a kid growing up and growing up a Yankee fan during the time Mickey Mantle was uh, retiring and the Yankees were really just a small component of baseball back then with Roy White being one of my favorite players. Uh, Seaver was, you know, I always loved Seaver, even though I was a Yankee fan. I, I felt uh, you could watch Seaver and, and, and that, those were the days that pitchers would pitch nine innings. 
and the and the managers would want them to pitch nine innings because they wanted the best player out there. Almost every game when he pitched, he was the best player on the field. And even when he went over to the White Sox in his later years, he still would win 16 and 17 games being in his late 30s and, and still be terrific. Um, obviously, his nickname, Tom, Tom Terrific, says it all. But I could tell you growing up, uh, it was one of those things that I could hear from my window in, in College Point. Um, I would listen to the games on the radio, and whenever he pitched and struck out uh, somebody, I could actually hear the cheers from uh, Shea Stadium through the window uh, at that point in, when I was a kid. And, and I always admired, you know, watching him pitch, and he was really a stalwart. He was one of those players, uh, his wife, Nancy, they were like uh, a textbook couple at the time. And, uh, you know, he, he always presented well. He always uh, made the game better. And, and for that, um, really going to miss him. Yeah, and you remember, you know, when we would go. And do, do you remember that time where, where we met him? And I think, you know, you might have took a picture on one of those CVS, like Polaroid cameras that you would have to get, you know, developed a week later, old school uh, style. But you remember when we did meet him? I did. I did remember that. Uh, but my, my better memory for you and I was when we were actually stay honored him. And it was at Chase Stadium and they, he came from center field. Because for a while, uh, the Mets and Tom Seaver were persona non grata at one point. Uh, he had a, uh, a falling out with the Mets. And then at some point, uh, they made up and he, he came back and, um, you know, he became uh, Tom Terrific again. So, yeah, I do remember that. And uh, who could not like Tom? I mean, uh, the competitor he was, the way he pitched, the number of strikeouts he had. It was just only, there's only a few plays that come to mind. Steve Carlton, players like that. Uh, not too many, though, that have that talent and the ability to do what he did and also charm charm the fans with his boyish good looks when he was younger. Um, he was really one of those guys that uh, once in 100 years comes around. Well, Dad, uh, I know you charmed Noel Brown with your boyish good looks uh, back in the day uh, in the 80s. And, uh, you know, I always remember you would tell me, you know, you would hear the cheers from your window and, uh, you were 10 years old when the Mets won the World Series, and when I was, you know, nine, the Mets made the World Series. So uh, it was, you know, it was cool growing up and going to games with you, and I do, I do remember when they honored Seaver and how special that was. So thank you for, even though you're a Yankees fan, for passing along, you know, baseball to me and, uh, you know, letting me know that Tom Seaver was the greatest Met. Piazza was in my lifetime, but Seaver is the best one of all time. Yeah, he certainly was, and he'll be missed by many people. Um, Nelson, take care of Jake. Make sure he doesn't uh, go overboard. <laughs> oh, not an easy task, but thank you. <laughs> okay, guys, All thanks right, so God. much. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. A big thanks to Ed Cranepool, Howie Rose, Art Shamsky, Mike Vaccaro, Ron Swoboda, and my dad for shedding some light on the teammate, the person, the player that Tom Seaver was. We lost a great one. We lost the franchise, and his legacy will be remembered forever. Rest in peace, Tom Seaver.